Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we talk about every episode of Call the Midwife one by one, spoiler free. Uh, I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor, and this week we are talking about the eighth and final episode of season three of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas, who of course created the show. Her most recent uh, billing as writer of a single episode was episode five this season, which is the episode where Patsy appears, arrives, comes, doesn't appear, (laughs) it's not like magic. Um... (laughs) This episode was directed by Minky Spiro. She has directed three other episodes, most recently last week's episode. And this is her last episode of Call the Midwife. Hmm. She's not the only one. <laughs> but we'll get that's, there. That's not a spoiler because we've seen the episode. Yes. I always, when you're like, spoiler free, there's always a little part of my mind that's like, so we shouldn't talk about what happens at the end of the episode. But no, we're... We're not spoiler-free on this episode. Yeah. Just about the whole Just about the whole series. show. <laughs> but there's also a narrative flow to our podcast itself, so we will get there when we get there. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our recap. Jenny delivers a baby as mature Jenny narrates about the pain and happiness of birth and the fear and love. The mother is taken to the hospital when her placenta comes apart and Je- Jenny bikes home alone. Chummy finds out that her mother has checked into a private hotel for the end of her life. Dr. Turner and Sheila are tense with each other. Mr. Harrowood discusses that he's starting a men's group, and they'll be discussing childbirth. And, of course, Sister Evangelina is cranky about the idea of men in the birth room, lauding the relationships of mother and daughter, which upsets Chummy. Sister Monica Joan comforts Chummy, and they discuss mothers. But later, Sister Monica Joan has a breakdown, reverting to her younger self. Fred brings her to Sister Julienne, who shows her her mother's jewelry. Cynthia tries to comfort her later, but she will not be consoled. Chummy visits her mother to find her snobby as usual, but in pain, and Chummy leaves upset. The theme of the episode is established immediately. I mean, it's... In some ways, a theme of the entire series, always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is an episode about motherhood. Yeah. About mothers, and specifically mothers and daughters. Yeah. And it's an episode, I mean, again, our episode has a na- narrative flow, but this is the episode where Chami's mother is dying at the beginning and has died by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And so it's about, we see Chami preparing to grieve, and we see Sister Monica Joan still grieving after so long. I think this this is a really strong, an especially strong episode of Call the Midwife. Mm-hmm. And it starts very strong with this, like... The con- and, of, and of course, the other mother and daughter is we have Sheila and Dr. Turner preparing for adoption and dealing with their issues beforehand. And by the end of the episode, it'll be a mother and daughter again. Mm-hmm. That's right. The uh, there's been we've commented throughout this 
our show that there is a connection, a uh, thematic connection between birth and death. Mm-hmm. And this is the episode where that really becomes most textual. Mm-hmm. And it is right from the very beginning, right? Like yeah. even Jenny's first, uh, the, the, the birth that she's starting with and the placenta, uh, there isn't a death, but there's like, there's worry and stress. Yeah, and there's like death. connection of the the idea of separation and danger and worry and all that tied into birth as a way to start the episode. Mm-hmm. And her narration at the beginning and her narration at the end will be echoed completely in each other, which I really love. I didn't write down her narration at the beginning. Do you remember? Did you have written down exactly what she says? Not exactly what she says, but it's along the lines of every birth brings happiness and pain right and fear and love where there is birth there is all those things and at the end where there is death there is all those things please stop playing with that thing under the table i can hear it where there was worry once the birth happens where there was worry there's peace Mm -hmm. and that like yeah the moment that's right that's right the, the worries and the anxiety and the fear kind of disappear after the birth has actually happened. And we don't know yet, but, uh, you know, we will know. If there's a good death, the same thing happens after mm-hmm. the death. That all the worries are over because the the thing you're worried about has happened. Yeah. What do you think about, do you want to talk about uh, Sister Monica Joan? Yeah, well... I mean, it's a common theme throughout this whole show that Sister Monica Joan is fragile, uh, mentally fragile, and physically a bit too, but that comes and goes. That uh, back in, I I think it was season one, when she stole things Mm -hmm. and she was on trial, some of the things she was accused of stealing turned out to be her mother's jewelry. And this is, again, her mother's jewelry coming out, these hints of her childhood being unhappy but also uh monetarily rich and very cold but despite that she still misses her mother greatly and she doesn't know how to cope with the fact that it was so cold it's a we've seen i think implied or we've seen uh the evidence of but as far as i can recall this is the first time we actually put it textually the parallel between uh Sister Monica Joan and Chummy. Mm-hmm. Like, they're Absolutely. very similar backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of saw enough hints to figure that out about Sister Monica Joan, but now we're seeing it like she, her mother was a lot like Chummy's mother. Mm-hmm. They were rich, but cold, and she was never close to her mother. And her mother judged her for her life choices. Yeah. There's something I always, Sister Monica Joan is so uh, filled with pathos. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea, and we'll, I think, come to it even more directly in the next section. So I don't want to jump on it too early. But the whole idea that after so long, she's, after such, uh, she wasn't close to her mother when her mother was alive. And so many years have passed, and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you want to talk about uh, Sheila and Dr. Turner? Yeah, it's, um... I mean, early in the episode, it's just the tension. Like, I'm, I really like that in the last episode, we had this revelation from Dr. Turner that he spent time in a mental institution and 
he was traumatized by the horrors of war and Sheila was upset with him and she's still upset with him. And there's still tension, Mm -hmm. quite a bit of tension there between them. And it's kind of comes out over this episode about like, they got married very quickly. Like Mm. we were all in love with them and it was very romantic and everything, (laughs) but they didn't really have time to get to know each other. And so that is causing issues early on in their marriage. Mm -hmm. And Neither of them really know how to deal with that. And we said, I remember last time saying that the like their story wasn't given as much time as we wish it had. So it's kind of nice that that story does get time this week. It's true. Yeah. Because we always have the like birth of the week or the parent of the mother of the week or whatever. But there's also also these characters that we get a slow burn on their stories and Sheila and Dr. Turner are one of them that will always get, you know, a little bit of them every episode. And sometimes it's really significant and other times it's just, you know, their lives. Mm-hmm. We, we touched on again, but do we have anything specific to say about Chummy at this point that we haven't yet? I feel like there's so much to say, but I feel yeah. like it's later I, in the episode I have more. I love and hate, like, the moment where she comes to visit her mother and her mother doesn't let her put up pictures of... Uh, their wedding and mm. she doesn't and she doesn't know what Tupperware is and that oh, and it's so uh, she's just so snobby towards Chummy and uh, you know there's a Baroness's widow there or a Baroness there right who's uh, who she would like Lady Brown would very much like to impress and she wouldn't want her to see. Her, what her daughter has become and all this just awful, but she just doesn't know how to express herself any other way. Like she yeah. does love Chummy. And but Chummy is just so vulnerable in that oh, scene, especially. So vulnerable. Like Peter sent some Satsumas, but yeah. they're not good enough, I'll leave. Yeah. So it's heartbreaking. Like It is absolutely heartbreaking. At this moment, at the end of uh, Lady Brown's life, they both want to connect with each other, actually. And they're unable to, and mostly Chummy is trying, and uh, her mother just isn't able to express in a, to her that she even cares about her attempts to, to connect with her as she's dying. Like, Yeah, exactly. So we have Reverend Harrowood is leading this men's right. group, uh, which will come up in a second. I'll read about it in a second. But it's uh, he's talking about <laughs> childbirth with men. And of course, Sister Evangelina is horrified by this. They don't need to know anything. They as long as there's no talk of men being in the birthing room, heaven forbid. This is just a bell she has rung many a time. And it's always just a little bit funny. I love that it's like... The birth that men being in the birthing room is the absolute last straw, but she's also like very not happy with just a men's group in general mm-hmm. <laughs> and a men's group acknowledging that birth is a thing. Yeah, like exactly. she does not. <laughs> Even like all of them are confused about like, what would you do at a men's group? They're just floored by the idea of it because they are so women helping women. That's all they are focused on. And so to have a man, you know, this reverend visiting them, 
who's like, hey, I might actually minister to the men here. They're just like, I don't know what that would involve or how that would work, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. I just love it. Sheila leads a choir practice, telling them that they're going to be in a festival. It's interrupted by the men's group, who are forced <laughs> to relocate to Nanotis. A man named Philip Worth accidentally falls in with them while looking for an antacid for his pregnant cousin. In the Turner home, it continues to be tense when they receive notice from an adoption agency that they are accepted to have a child. Jenny visits Philip's cousin Jeanette to examine her, admiring a painting that Philip has made. When Peter comes to visit Lady Brown, he's told that they can't keep her there, so Peter brings her back home. Chummy has a difficult time, but when Dr. Turner says she only has a few weeks left, they decide to keep her home. Sheila and Patrick discuss his breakdown and make amends. So there's this little thread all throughout the episode of Sheila leading the choir, mm -hmm. uh, who are, it's a quite small community choir. We've heard of them before. And she's trying to find the perfect piece for them to sing in a festival. And she's very excited. This is her her focus. Instead of focusing on her marriage that she's upset about, she is very intense about the festival. And when the men's group walks in, she is short with them. And we have an appointment, standing appointment for using this room. <laughs> <laughs> the song that she is uh, leading the choir in, Ave Verum Corpus. Mm-hmm. Is a motet by Mozart, and the it's short. the The text is short, um, and the text is truly born of the Virgin Mary, truly offered in the cross for man, pierced side, water and blood, be a foretaste of death. Hmm. I feel that it is quite an appropriate uh, text for this episode. That's about. Um, Ave Verum Corpus, uh, hail the true body. Hmm. Um, so it's about the body of Christ, but it's also about the foretaste of death, and it's about uh, bodies. And it's kind of connecting the bodily reality of the bodies of the women and all the people in the episode, and also what we're seeing through the whole episode is a foretaste of death, and the motet is about uh, Jesus being a foretaste of death and that being comforting rather than frightening. Mm -hmm. And so it's the idea of a good death is in that motet as well. Mm -hmm. We talk a bit about uh, Sister Monica Joan comforting Chummy, mm -hmm. Chummy being in chapel and or Sister Monica Joan coming from chapel and Chummy worried about her mother and Sister Monica Joan mourning for her mother. Um, Sister Monica Joan says, talking to Chummy, Chummy says she doesn't know what to think. And, Chum, and Sister Monica Joan says, in chapel, we need not choose our thoughts. The words are aligned like a rope for us to cling to. And that idea of uh, a rope, mm. like that in moments of emotional intensity, but in moments of grief particularly, that like what Trummy is feeling is lost and at sea and not sure what to do, um, not sure what to think. 
And Sister Monica Jones says that the chapel is a rope. And we see Sister Monica Jones when she loses herself later on. Uh, Sister Julianne gives her her mother's jewels as a different kind of rope to mm-hmm. connect her back to her mother and back to herself. And that the idea in the whole episode of like finding a rope to cling to mm-hmm. and in Lady Brown is clinging to the rope of her like wealth and status and rank and Chummy is offering her a rope of family that she doesn't know how to cling to. Mm-hmm. Like this whole idea I think is 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 running through the entire episode. And then Chummy asks Sister Monica Joan, how long ago did your mother die? And Sister Monica Joan says, I think that is not of any consequence. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how long ago it was. And this is a thing about, I mean, we see it in Sister Monica Joan. She's, it's one of the reasons why it's so, there's so much pathos in Sister Monica Joan is that she is so old. <laughs> <laughs> And yet the griefs of her childhood are still with her. Mm -hmm. And there's a idea that exists that like time heals all wounds and it gets better and things pass and you grow into, you know, serene wisdom. And Sister Monica Joan has moments of serene wisdom. She has moments of uh, senile derangement, Mm -hmm. but she also has moments of like where she is lucid, but still sad about her griefs like she there, there it isn't just serene wisdom or uh uh senile mm-hmm. there's also like lucid but grieving yeah and her her she didn't wasn't close to her mother when her mother was alive and her mother is gone and presumably based on how old sister monica joan is she probably has been without her mother much longer than she was ever with her mother yes right we don't, she says the dates don't matter, so we can't say for sure, but it's a, a good guess that she has lived in grief of her mother longer than she lived uh, cold and when her mother was alive, right? Mm-hmm. Especially since she left her mother at a very young age to go off to a convent. But dates, after all, she says, are only scratchings on a stone. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. It's so moving. Mm-hmm. And it's so like my own, the idea of grief that I have heard others say that it actually doesn't ever go away. You just learn to live with it. It doesn't actually get better with time. Mm-hmm. You just might learn to uh, live with what it is. And we see that with Sister Monica Joan, like how long ago? I think that is not of any consequence. Mm-hmm. When uh, Philip arrives to with the men's group, uh, I remember watching this when it very first came out, and his name was Philip Worth, and my brain immediately made the connection that Jennifer Worth. Right. This is this is going to be uh, Jenny's greatest, you know, love here. She's so recently having grieved Alec that I was really surprised that they put this in. And then by the end of the episode, I 
you know, she's the actress is leaving. It's the end of Jenny Lee's tenure in Poplar. That's why they introduce Philip in this. Yeah. But I like the little hints of like her first meeting him, him like basically he sees her and is is immediately smitten. Yeah. <laughs> it's adorable. It is adorable. I think it's really funny that he's just caught in with the men's group and yeah. Trixie is like, You're not registered and he's like, Do I have to be? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. He clears it up pretty quickly, but it is very <laughs> funny still. <laughs> it's like he does not have any idea what's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, do you want to talk about the Turners in this section? Yeah. Well, they finally they finally had to sit down and have a discussion. And it's honestly, it's pretty short because they basically just need to say, I was mad at you for not telling me. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> you know, like it's uh, on one hand, it's like a little unsatisfactory that they just work it out but on the other hand what was there to work out besides to say that they still love each other and that to you know find some forgiveness yeah and the point i i mean what you said in the last section is really the point that they are learning to be honest with each other and know each other better and Mm -hmm. that's you know good good for them good for them so peter goes to visit lady brown on uh, Chummy's behalf yeah, and uh, immediately finds that she is not, cannot stay in this place. She's staying at a place that like some minimal doctor visits and like a hotel almost. And yeah, it's, it's not a hospice. It's not a hospice. And she is uh, basically kicked out. They're like, we can't care for someone who is on the verge of dying. So he takes her back home and i love like that peter is just constantly insulted by her Mm -hmm. is uh they're very formal with each other and he and she has been snobby to him from the second that they met but he still you know this is for chummy this is he still has so much compassion. Yeah. And he doesn't leave and leave her behind. He, he's like, well, I guess she's coming home with us because she's my mother-in-law. And it's partly for Chummy so... because he loves Chummy. And it's partly just we've seen Peter's character from the beginning mm-hmm. that like, he's, he's a, a compassionate guy. person. Yep. Love is. Peter. He's yeah. great. And this is like, I mean, one of the things too about this like there he is putting himself in a position of serving someone who has been uh un- very unkind to him mm-hmm. and she is has been resting on pride all along and she's now put in a position of having no choice but to rely on someone that she that she looks down on but she can't mm-hmm. help it like, yeah. there's nothing she can do about it. and She's lost her pride. Yeah. Yeah, she really has. Um, and Dr. Turner comes to tell them that she doesn't have long left. Yeah. And she, I like the her whole speech where she names cancer as what she has. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people don't want to speak of it. They don't want to say its name. And then she says the name and I... It's a really beautiful moment. The beast is named. The beast is named. Yeah. And that in the world that she lives in, in this like 
upper class world, it is very like you speak in euphemisms, you don't name something that's, you know, as gauche as cancer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just not done, but she's able to to kind of move past it and do it. And that's a real turning point for her and for Chummy and Peter in her ho- in their home. It is. Is it this section where she says to Chummy, like, about calling him your husband? And she's like, you have a name. He has a name. She's like, we have an agreement. I mean, we have yeah, an understanding. We have an understanding. Exactly. <laughs> he calls me Lady Brown and I call him your husband. Your husband. <laughs> <laughs> that man. So uh, back to Sister Monica Joan. She paces and cries over her mother and wishing they had made peace earlier. Chummy sleeps beside her mother in a chair and then wakes to find her with Freddie on her lap. Jenny asks Sister Julianne if she can care for Lady Brown as she dies, but she's not allowed to leave her midwifery duties. Uh, Jenny trains a trio of young midwives from the London, and Lady Brown is moved upstairs in Chummy's home, while Sister Monica Joan helps them. Peter begins to bond with his mother, mother-in-law, teaching her to play cards, and Lady Brown says she misses her manicure. Chummy struggles with the idea of touching her mother. Sheila discovers that her choir must change songs at the last minute, and her and Dr. Turner dance to records in the living room. She corroborates with Tom to add more community members to the choir. Do you want to talk about Sheila and the choir first? Sure. The well, she's um, my m- the moment in here where she's like stressing out, trying to choose a new song, and she asks for a drag of uh, Doctor Turner's cigarette. And he says, right. <laughs> "You can always have a cigarette of your own." And she says, "No, because that would make me a smoker." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is so <laughs> typical of a lot of people. <laughs> like, That's no. a, just such a wonderful moment. <laughs> yep. It's both like a funny moment of its own. It also like demonstrates that they have, like it uh, shows rather than tells that they are in a good place again. Yes, exactly. Because they can tease each other. They can tease each other. And she like, that's not that vulnerable, but she can be vulnerable and honest with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because there's trust again. Yep. Uh, this this section that I just talked about has um, we've been watching the episodes on uh, CBC Gem because we're in Canada and they're mm-hmm. on that, but they are the American edited versions for the PBS versions, and so <gasps> I have the so I grabbed the DVDs to watch this episode to see what was cut, and so the whole plot with Chummy and the three midwives. The part where Peter teaches Lady Brown to play cards and the part where Sheila goes to Tom to find community members for the choir. Those are all three cut. Yeah. Which the part with Jenny and the three midwives kind of makes sense to cut. It lifts out quite easily. It's just a montage. There's no very little dialogue. It just kind of shows Jenny and her confidence and her in-chargeness and kind of some moments of funniness with the three midwives not being, you know, being grossed out by the smells and sights of Poplar, much like Jenny was at the very, in the very first episode. 
it's a, it like shows us in a moment that Jenny that learner has become the teacher. Yes. Uh, but the part where Sheila goes to uh, Tom and asks him to get gather some community members is also cut, which explains a lot that suddenly at the very end of the show the choir is huge and and yeah. I, I, I the first time I watched it I was like wait how, how did this happen and it's because this little bit was cut yeah I didn't watch the DVD uh, incidentally I just watched the CBC gem thing so I'm learning this at this moment yeah. that that's why the choir is so big because I did have questions yeah exactly <laughs> the thing about Peter and Lady Brown playing cards though even though that wasn't in the CBC gem somehow, like, I, I maybe watched part of the DVD. I don't remember exactly what I did because I noted that that wasn't in the... Mm. I maybe saw you watching it. But yeah. in that moment, that is the one that makes me really sad that it was cut. Yes, me too. Because in that moment, she says, uh, she tells him to call her by her name. Mm-hmm. And she asks what the name of the card game is. And it's like, strip Jack naked or something. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what her name is, but she says... Oh, her name is Artemis. Is it? Yeah. Uh, but after very the, unusual. After the moment of, call, of Lady Brown, we have an understanding, and then they play cards, and she says, call me Artemis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's... I feel like that was an important moment that they yeah. cut out. We see actually her making connections with peter and with freddie and that she connects more by the end of this section she is more actually bonded with freddie and peter than she is with chummy yeah absolutely. which isn't really a surprise because the walls that needed to be torn down between peter and her were much weaker yeah, exactly right exactly. and there weren't any walls between her and freddie really mm-hmm. except on her part a little yeah but Chummy has this... I mean, do you want to get right to the Chummy part? Is there anything we want to talk about before we get to it? The manicure? Just that uh, this is where Jenny talks about wanting to work with the dying. Yes. And she comes to Sister Julianne and is like, I've been reading about working with the dying and I'd like to do this with Lady Brown. I'd like to give her a good death. And Sister Julianne, as much as she wants to support Jenny, is like, you can't do that when you're a midwife. This is your your job is to do this. And I need you to train some new midwives and, and do your duties. You can't help this woman die. Which, by the way, the cutout of the three midwives, the only little bit that it matters to the story is that with that cutout, it seems a little bit like Sister Julianne is just being capricious. Yeah. Like, no, you can't do it because you have other things to do, which are nothing in particular. Yeah. Like, if there's something specific that she needs to be doing, it makes more sense. It does make more sense. But yeah, Jenny, I mean, we, I presume we'll come back to this at the end of our episode, but, uh, We've seen through the whole series that Jenny is interested in death as well as in birth. And yes. this is her real pivot. Mm-hmm. And that's Jenny, Jennifer Worth, like the real life, does do this uh, vocational change. Yeah. It maybe uh, is a little abrupt in this episode because yes. um, the actress was leaving. Mm-hmm. It would have maybe been nice if they'd stretched Jenny's change of 
vocation a little longer. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the story is, if they had always planned on her leaving this early, or if I think, or if it was like the actress wanted to go. Uh, I gather the actress wanted to yeah. go, but I wonder whether like... Because I feel like they needed eventually for her to leave because Jenny Lee doesn't stay there forever, but... I feel like they could have done this in a whole season had her meet, yeah. had her meet Philip, had her discover how much she's interested in helping the dying and then leave. Yeah, my big meta question of what's happening behind the scenes is, did they start season three knowing that Jenny was going to be gone at the end of season three? Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to me like Doesn't they did. Doesn't seem like they did. Yeah. But they, given that, like given what I am assuming are the constraints of extra show like real world considerations i think they did as good a job as was possible absolutely absolutely and it's satisfying yeah this ending for jenny um let's talk about chummy and touching her mother well yes i'm gonna just recap a little bit more because i didn't actually talk about the manicure yet um jenny helps uh jeanette phillips cousin uh with starting to be in labor. She meets Philip again and discusses his painting with him. Sister Monica Joan retrieves Trixie's manicure supplies and brings them to Chummy, convincing her to touch her mother, creating a lovely scene between the two of them. Jenny comes to deliver Jeanette's baby, but the labor is very long, and eventually Jenny tires and calls for a new midwife. She's very disappointed in herself. And I'll recap the next bit in a bit, but let's talk for a while about the, the manicure, because I think it's very significant. Well, it starts with Lady Brown talking about how she used to get a manicure and she wants, she wishes she could have one. Mm-hmm. And we see, like in that scene, we see focus on Chummy being uncomfortable. Yeah. And Sister Monica Joan in that scene, like... we. <laughs> Sister Monica Jones a lot of things, but subtle is never one of them. Yes. He's like written all over her face in that moment, like, I have an idea. Yeah. And she goes off and gets Trixie's manicure set, um, asks Fred to help her find it, uh, which is a li- also a little funny moment yep. of like rummaging through Trixie's underwear drawer. <laughs> no, right. Oh, dear. Oh, man. Um, but don't don't tell Trixie that that happened. Um. Chummy, but Chummy's initial reaction to her mother wanting a manicure is like, oh, we, you know, you don't want all that silliness and nonsense. And yeah, part exactly. of it that's like, it's very impractical. It doesn't matter at all if you have nice nails right now. Who cares? But there, so you do kind of like see Chummy's point there. But Chummy's point is not actually that. It's that she's uncomfortable touching. Her mother. And this, like, you don't want any of that silliness. Like, I feel like, again, we can dig into all of it and it Mm kind of deserves some digging in. Because one of the things that is a disagreement of values between Chummy and her mother is that uh, Chummy thinks her mother is superficial. Yeah. And cares about the surface and the appearance. And she's right. Like, she cares about impressing the baroness and uh living in a hotel even though she can't afford it mm-hmm. and chummy's like i need to do things that are practical and helpful and she's uh grounded yeah 
and so this like manicure starts off like the first level of symbolism is like in this moment of dying i want my nails to be pretty seems so vain and superficial to chummy yeah and it also seems like it symbolizes everything about how her mother has put the, her priorities in the wrong place always yeah right none of that is text none of that gets said but then the other side of that is we've seen so much in Chummy and her mother's interactions. We have, I think, always been on Chummy's side. And this is one of the first moments where, like, oh, Chummy, would it would it kill you, like, mm-hmm. to give your dying mother something that'll give her some comfort? Maybe it's vain and, and superficial. Does that really matter? Yeah, exactly. She just wants a little bit of kindness and a little bit of comfort. Mm-hmm. And feeling like home. And feeling like home. She may be dying in a bed, but it's not her bed. And then, as you say, the problem behind that, like deeper behind that, that Chummy tearfully reveals to Sister Monica Joan, is that she can't touch her mother. Mm-hmm. And we saw it in a little moment earlier where her mother like reached out for her hand and Chummy like shrank away. Mm-hmm. And so giving her a manicure, like... There's a little bit of her mother having a manicure at all seems silly to Chummy, but she gets past that uh, pretty quickly, really. Yeah. But it's the idea of her holding her mother's hand and like rubbing lotion into into it. And this, it's this, as I said, it's so much easier for Chummy's mother, for Lady Brown to bond with Peter than it is for her to bond with Chummy because there's a whole lifetime of coldness and separation and uh, kind of protect self-protection. And when we saw her chummy visiting her mother in the hotel, she's so like raw and vulnerable, just like coming into the room and sitting next to her and that like touching her hands and rubbing them seems is, is so much more so. Yeah. It's, but then we have a scene but where then she does it. Sister not... Monica Joan goes and gets the stuff because she recognizes that this moment, not just that uh, Lady Brown needs this moment, but that Chummy, uh, she, she wants to give Chummy and Lady Brown a moment of reconciliation, mm-hmm. right? Like we that, see, she ne- that she never had is the main thing. she focus. didn't have, yeah, so exactly. She wants to be able to show her that she can touch her mother in a way that she, that she didn't get to do herself Mm -hmm. and it is a lovely scene the two of them and her giving the manicure and rubbing lotion into her hands and all that stuff it's very uh touching (laughs) no pun intended (laughs) yeah it is it's it in a way is an echo of that scene from the christmas the first christmas episode where sister evangelina and jenny bathe that old woman Mm, yes yeah i forgot about that like it's the same and it call it ties into the ave verum corpus that why is touching her mother so emotionally intense mm-hmm. because it's about bodies and yeah. in the moment and in the like when it really comes to it your body is what you are yeah and so like touching her skin and just rubbing her hands is this moment of connection that is 
so uh, vulnerable and so direct. Mm-hmm. So interspersed with this uh, this scene is Jenny helping Jeanette in labor, mm-hmm. and it's a very very long first stage of labor, and things aren't progressing, and Jenny gets exhausted, and for the first time ever, she has to give up. She has to call new midwives and take a break, and uh, and she's uh, she's done. Yeah. This is it, break, and it breaks her heart. And she's, and she realizes at the end of it, she talks to Philip, who offers to walk her home. That if it was just a matter of tiredness, she'd get up and do it tomorrow. But it's a matter of she can't, she's done with it. She's kind of, she can't sit with women in labor anymore. It's, it's not where her heart is. And yeah. basically, ever since she lost. Ever since she lost Alec, she's been struggling with this idea of continuing with midwifery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the moment of, like, she's exhausted and she can't go on, but she doesn't go home. Mm-hmm. There's two things about this whole scene, right? Like, there's the interspersing of the birth scene with the death scene. Mm-hmm. And Lady Brown doesn't die in this moment. Not quite yet, no. But it's like, again, making the comparison really explicit of like first stage of birth, first stage of death. Yeah, exactly. And again, grounding it all very much viscerally and very much bodily. Mm-hmm. This is a very, you're right, it's a very vis- visceral episode. Which this show tends to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, and then, yeah, that like... Jenny is is gives up not just on this birth. There's the moment where she's like, "This isn't what I'm gonna do anymore." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all symbolic. It is. It's all symbolic and whatever. So Jenny, disappointed in herself, goes straight to Chummy's house. Lady Brown passes away with Chummy curled up next to her, and Jenny and Sister Monica Joan there for support. Mature Jenny narrates about death in the same way she did about birth at the start of the episode. Sheila goes to take the choir to the festival, but the Turners are called to pick up their new adopted baby girl. Dr. Turner and Sheila go into the nursery, and he places her in Sheila's arms. Meanwhile, Trixie conducts the choir to victory at the festival, (laughs) and Tom and Trixie kiss in the street after the festival. Oh, the baby, when they go into the nursery, it's like, your baby's the one with the sunflower on the cr- cradle. No one else has anything. That's that's a little bit like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they did that so that they would know. that They, they did that so they'd know which one it was. it was. They like put the sunflower just before a, a parent comes. Is that what, presumably? <laughs> I feel like the set dressers gonna be, She's going to be adopted. Right. But the other kids I, there aren't being adopted. Maybe they are. Who knows? <laughs> Can I finish my recap, oh, though? <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought that was the end. No. Jenny announces to the midwife that she's going to take a new job with the, di- with the dying. Mature Jenny narrates about how she left midwifery behind, married Philip Worth, had two daughters, but always kept in touch with Nanotis. 
that's the end of my recap. <laughs> I'm sorry. I <laughs> knew okay. that I knew that that moment happened, but I just forgot. It felt like you'd come to a conclusion. I felt yep. like we ended with Tom and Trixie kissing, but why would that be the end of the nope, episode? Nope, that isn't the end of the episode. <laughs> sorry about that. That's okay. Um, I'm going to start, I, I want to start by being like, uh, Sheila and Dr. Turner, it's very sweet that they get their daughter and it's a beautiful moment. Um, the choir winning was a little much. Yeah, I agree, I agree. <laughs> they could have like, sung well and been happy, but winning. I know. I'm like, at the last minute, let's sing some pop song that we haven't <laughs> rehearsed all in unison. We win! We win! What? (laughs) Okay. I'll just take your word for it. (laughs) Maybe the other choirs were all really crummy. They they would have to be. (laughs) They they sounded good singing the Mozart. They sounded good singing the pop song, but not as good as they sounded singing the Mozart. I like... Anyway... I think you're a tiny bit biased against I am a tiny bit biased towards... I don't think uh, my preferences have been a secret that I'll take Mozart over. I don't even I didn't even write down what the pop song was because it wasn't familiar to me. I can't remember either. Some like it wasn't, but something in the neighborhood of like Perry Como. Yeah, I feel like type. Yeah. So let's get that out of the way. Get okay. that out of the way. But uh, the moment of Sheila and Doctor Turner going to get their baby, and he's like, "Do you want to go in alone?" And she's, "No, I oh. want." You with me? This is the closest to giving birth I'll ever have. And he is, he places the baby in her arms in the exact same way that if he had delivered her baby, he would have placed a baby in her arms in that way. And it's lovely and emotional. And And poor Timothy is sent off to the office. I mean, I guess Uh, he'll he'll meet the baby later. I don't love that. I kind of wish he had come in too. There's like, there's like a a bunch of other babies in the scene. There's like a one-year-old in the crib who a little bit steals the show in the background, just like staring at the camera. Anyway. (laughs) I did not notice that. That's really funny. (laughs) Sorry, that's not the point, though. I agree. That is a really touching moment. Mm -hmm. And it's been, you know, anticipated. That's been anticipated like the entire season. Uh, I didn't mention yet in the recaps, uh, we had Sheila was cross stitching or stitching a dress for ages. And then she gave it away to sister Julianne when she found out she couldn't have kids. And, but, and she was like, Oh, some other baby's wearing it. And then it turns out that sister Julianne saved it because she had hope and she gave it back to her for her new baby. And it's so sweet. I love it. And it's, uh, I put it away against future hope. I put it away against future hope. It's it's a very Sister Julianne thing to do, it where is. she's kind of too good for this world, but <laughs> we love her anyway. <laughs> and it's a little parallel of uh, Sister Julianne saving Sister Monica Jones' mother's jewels. Yes, like exactly. it's the same thing. Yeah, of like this thing that meant something to you that you thought was gone. I've saved it. And at the right moment, I'm going to give it back to you mm-hmm. or show it to you in yeah. Sister Monica Jones' case. And I mean, it's different because, of course, the nuns take this vow of poverty. They're supposed to give away their worldly possessions. So for Sister Julianne to save these things is going a little against her vows. But she knows that what's more important than the vows. Yeah. And well, and it's I mean, I don't think it is going against her vows because they're not Sister Monica Jones 
they're in the keeping of the order. Yeah, that's true. So it's not Sister Monica Joan doesn't have this wealth. That's true. But the order does. I suppose. Either way, it's fine. It's beautiful. And she, like, is too good for this world. And she's so kind. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about Chummy and... Yeah, let's go back to Chummy. So Jenny shows up. And frankly, Jenny doesn't do much. No. She's just there. Yeah. And I think that's just what she needs is the experience of being there for someone who's dying. Um, yeah. And Chummy curls up next to her on the bed, which is beautiful. Um, because despite her coldness, Lady Brown still would have had Chummy as an infant curled up next to her. Yeah. And so... This is uh, a moment of reverting right back to infancy for Chummy. Yeah. And it is hard, but it is beautiful. And I can see, you can re like, they just set it up so well for Jenny to leave this moment where she couldn't follow through with a birth and go to this death to see it through to the end and bring com- some comfort to Chummy mm-hmm. and all that. And Chummy gets what Sister Monica Joan didn't get, which is she makes amends with her mother mm-hmm. and her mother has a good death with Chummy with her. Yeah. And they're like, what? A good death is uh, something that the show keeps saying. That's yes. not my term. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes it a good death is what Sister Monica Joan and uh, Jenny are able to do for Chami, mm-hmm. really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, it's for the, the people who are left behind mm-hmm. that is what makes it good. Yeah. So immediately, Jenny is able to say goodbye. She announces that she's leaving. They all get sad at her <laughs> <laughs> and happy for her as well. Uh and then, and Philip Worth is there just kind of hovering in the background <laughs> so that she can narrate that they got married. Yeah, a little rushed, but that's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of setup for the next season. We have Trixie and Tom. We have Sheila and her new baby. You know, we kind of have a, we're ready for a next phase of this show. Yeah. I remember when this aired... Mm-hmm. Uh, and being like, what are they, is there going to be another season? Because although on a second, third watch, like it really has very much become an ensemble show. If it wasn't in season one, it certainly is by season three, but Jenny's the narrator and yeah, Jenny exactly. is still the ostensible main character. And so I was really in doubt of what was going to happen with season four. Yeah, me too. But uh, although we're a show without spoilers, there is a season four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> season 10 just ended, I think. Yeah, season 10 just ended. As we're recording this. So, um, well, what was your favorite part? Ooh, ooh, that's hard. On one hand, it's the manicure scene. Yeah. On the other hand, it's Jenny realizing that she wants to work with the dying that is uh 
it's not out of nowhere. It feels a little out of nowhere a little bit in this episode, but it isn't. If you watch the whole show, you see her again and again find, take comfort, comforting dying people. Yeah, even in season one, even in yeah. like what episode is it? But like episode three of season one or something, it starts to be really seated. Yeah, exactly. It is feel, as I said, I kind of wish that they had made Jenny's that they had made Jenny and Philip and transitioning to uh, end of life care a little longer over more episodes. Mm -hmm. But if you were going to do it in one episode, this is like, yeah, this was the way to do it. So well done. Yeah. So what was your favorite? I mean, if I can't say the manicure scene, cause you did, <laughs> then I'm going to say <laughs> you could always have a cigarette of your own. No, because that would make me a smoker. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, actually, it's the manicure scene. Yeah. That's a beautiful scene. Beautifully shot. Beautiful in its symbolism. Mm -hmm. uh, really touching. And, like, in I say the manicure scene, but intercut with the difficult first stage of labor scene. Mm -hmm. Like, that also was very uh, movingly shot and staged and everything. Yep. That's my favorite part. All right. So that's the ending of series slash season three. Uh, we will be launching into season four with the Christmas special to start with uh, very soon. We'll take a little break between seasons, but not, not as long as not break. as long as last time. No, we hope and. I mean, I guess we don't know. We Who can't, knows make, what the we can't will bring. make promises, but it was we just you know how it is. COVID sucks. Um. That's what we can blame for everything in 2020, If there's not a, a new uh, global disaster... Don't say it, Paul. <laughs> just, don't even, just don't even say it at all. If you would like to share a birth story mm -hmm. uh, for us to air in between seasons three and four, we would be happy to do so. You can record yourself or you can uh, put it in writing and Jan will read it. Um, if nobody does, that's okay too. Absolutely. Uh, it can be a birth story or an adoption story. Yes. Or a, yeah. Yeah, birth or how adoption you, story. How you acquired your child. <laughs> <laughs> well, how can you get in touch with us to do that, Paul? You can email us poplar at clockworksacademy.com or poplaropinion at clockworksacademy.com. Actually, both of those email addresses work. Or poplar-opinion, uh, that Paul. one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter at popular opinion uh and if you like the show you can support us on patreon patreon.com slash clockworks cast and the best way to support us actually is to tell people about our show so that people can listen to us because we would love to that would be Good. Yeah. I've been hanging out a little bit on the uh, subreddit for Call the Midwife. Mm. And some people have been, and I posted about our show. People said they've been listening to it. So if you want to chat with me on there, if you want to make a thread on on the Call the Midwife subreddit, I will definitely see it and chat with ba you back. Back with you. Wow. <laughs> brain talk good. <laughs> that is the end of this episode and this season. Thank you very, very much for joining us. I've been Dr. Paul Moffat. And I've been Jan Moffat, and that's just my popular opinion. Mm -hmm.